Good morning, Desert City Church. Uh, it is a really marvelous gift to be with you this morning. Um, uh, what, a, what a treat, what a delight. Um, thanks to the worship team that did such a great job. Um, this morning, I wanted to say a special thank you to the cellist. That's so cool to have a cellist in a worship team. Um, that's just really fun. I've been watching the journey of uh, Desert City Church as it became uh, a part of uh, community, uh, Paradise Community Church, and the two of them uh, joined forces to become a powerful mission outpost for God's kingdom in Phoenix and in around the world. Um, I'm really excited about the journey that you all are on. I just am thrilled about it. Um, it's so wonderful. Um, John and Roz, uh, my brother and sister-in-law, are my heroes. Um, their works of faith, their faithfulness to God, does so much to help me understand truly how faithful God really is, how much he loves us, and how much he honors everything we do in his name. Um, Pastor Jared, thank you for a very, very gracious invitation. Um, I want to say about Jared from my brief encounters with him that this is a man, this is a pastor who has allowed God's grace just to deeply penetrate into his life. And that makes him a marvelous leader and a absolutely wonderful pastor. And I'm really grateful. <sighs> We have a, a men's Bible study at the church I attend these days, and um, there's some sanity to it. Uh, the men's Bible study that I attend starts at 8 o'clock. <laughs> uh, not uh, this 6.30 business. Uh, I didn't actually know there was a 6.30, at least not since I retired. Um, um, but we have a wonderful time, like I'm sure your guys do. It's so wonderful to read God's word together and to see God's word through other people's lenses and to see how God speaks in so many different ways through the same text. Um, in my group, um, it's all wonderful. Everyone has great things to share because we do a lot of sharing. But the guy that everybody pays attention to is a guy named Wally. And every time Wally uh, kind of leans back in his chair and says something, everybody perks up. And this, uh, two weeks ago, I think it was, Wally, we were talking about from a psalm. We had read a psalm together, and the psalm was about that we need to continually remember God in every moment of our lives, but also that God never stops remembering us. And Wally leaned back in his chair, and everybody perked up, and Wally said, you know, when I was visiting my mom near her death, she had fallen uh, deeply into dementia. She had, no, she had no idea who I was. And then he said, you know, I would just, I'd just sit with her and do my best to have a conversation, but it really didn't go anywhere. But he said, I would always sing at least one or two hymns to her. And he said, this was what was amazing to me. She knew every word. She knew every word. 
So much was lost to her, Wally said, but God's love, God's care, God's hold in her life was deeply imprinted in the very fabric of her being. What I understood him as saying is that for his mom, even in that really difficult journey of dementia, there were moments when she was living with the skies wide open. (laughs) Skies wide open, what do I mean by that? Knowing that God is present, that he cares, that he'll never let you go. This morning, I want to explore one of the ways that you and I can participate with Jesus in Jesus' work to imprint his love, his grace, his care deeply into our lives. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, you always give the best gifts. As your servant James wrote, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights. And Paul said, what do we have that we did not receive? Dear Lord, allow us to be a people who constantly demonstrate to you and to your world your abundant and extravagant generosity. We pray this in Jesus' name. I love the descriptions in Matthew, Mark, and Luke of Jesus' baptism. They are anchors for me in my own walk of faith. And what blows me away in particular, every part of those texts are important, but one thing that blows me away is that when Jesus comes out of the, what I like to call the muddy waters of Jesus' baptism, you know that our waters of baptism are not muddy, it's actually cleansing. It's the work of Jesus to make us new, to make us whole. But Jesus, if I understand it correctly, when he entered into the waters of baptism, it was to enter into the continuous and whole reality of the brokenness of human sin. When John the Baptist saw Jesus coming to the water, John said, behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. And so Jesus enters into that water in order to carry that sin into all the way to the cross, into his death to be completely redeemed in his resurrection. But it says that when he comes out of the water, it says the skies opened up. Literally, at least one text says, the skies were torn open. And the Holy Spirit, I want to say, embraces him. And then the voice of the Father comes and says, this is my son. I love him so much. I am so proud of him. What would it mean to start every day like that? To to, to know that in the morning and to know that at lunch and to know that in the evening and to know that when you go to bed? What would it mean to live every day with the skies wide open? Like Jesus coming out of his baptism, only saying to you, this is my daughter. This is my son. I'm so proud of you. I love you so much. I want to live like that. I mean the total affirmation part. I mean the complete and unconditional love part. I mean that you don't have to prove yourself today part. 
God already loves you more than you can ever imagine. Never I will love you if, never I will love you maybe, never I will love you only when, but you are absolutely loved right now. It's a finished work. The work of the cross is a finished work. Philip Yancey says it this way, and this takes some thinking, but the gospel means there's nothing we can ever do to make God love us less. There's nothing we can do to make God love us more. I want to say that starting every day at the finish line. It's not waking up in the morning and saying, boy, I hope I get it right today. It's starting by saying, I am loved, I am filled, I can serve. Because God has already held me and he will never let me go. But if I want that awareness that the skies are wide open, imprinted on my life so that I can hold on to it in the good days, and especially in the difficult days, Paul wants us to know that there are things we can do in order to participate with the work that Jesus is already doing in our lives to transform us. So Paul says it this way, every time we think of you, we thank God for you. Day and night you're in our prayers as we call to mind your work of faith. How do I live with the skies wide open, knowing every day, this is my son, I love him so much, I'm so proud of him. Paul tells us that there are things that we can do that allow the Holy Spirit into our lives to transform us. And those things are called works of faith. Works of faith are the things we do that allow us to see and experience that in Jesus the skies are wide open. I want to say that they are those things that the Holy Spirit can use to grow us and imprint on us God's never-ending love. It's really important here, there's a distinction, because we're not saved by works of faith. We're not loved because of our works of faith. We don't earn any extra blessing from God from our works of faith, but they are the means, they are the means through which we get to see and experience and know that it's true that the God that we say is faithful is actually with us every moment of our lives and will never let us go. I call the deep, deep knowledge that our God always loves for us and always cares for us. Works of faith, two convictions of mine. The first conviction is that most of the blessings in my life, and I just want to give witness, I'm extravagantly blessed in so many ways. But most of the blessings in my life come from other people's works of faith. It's my parents who showed me in their works of faith that this thing about following Jesus actually is true. The gospel is real. It was Sunday school teachers, and it was, it was youth leaders, and it was pastoral mentors, and it was my family, and 
There are many people in this church who fit the category of people who have deeply encouraged me to believe that this stuff is true because of their works of faith. You know, the skies are always wide open. God loves you no matter what. But if you want to see and experience that, it's the works of faith that help you enter into that journey. Giving is one of those acts of faith. And just just so you know, there aren't 10 acts of faith. There are not 10 works of faith. Everything you do in the name of Jesus is a work of faith. But giving is one of them that really matters. And there's giving time, effort, energy, our abilities and talents, and all those things matter. But I'm going to nail down on one of them today. And it's financial giving. It's giving money. And the reason I nail down on that, because I'm convinced that for many of us, probably not for all, but for many of us, this thing of financial giving is one of the toughest places to enter into the work of faith. But if it is one of the toughest places to enter into the work of faith, it also means one of the places where we can open our lives to know about God's faithfulness more than almost any other place. Giving is a work of faith for many of us, especially when we're younger, especially when we're scared, especially when our kids are little, especially when our kids are going on to school, especially, oh my goodness, you can never stop with the especiallys, can you? Jesus seemed to think that the enemy had a grip on money and things in our world. And the work of faith is one of the ways we break the power of those things, and especially money. Um, you all know this, I know you know it, but I just, a small reminder, money's a tough place. Um, And this is a statistic from a book called uh, Passing the Plate. It's written not by theologians or biblical scholars, it's actually written by sociologists who did an intensive study of giving of Christians in America. And they looked at what actually is not the average, but the mean Um, and the mean is a central point of numbers, not just the average of all the numbers. And they looked at different groups of Christians, nominal Christians, uh, Christians who say that uh, they, they believe that God is real, and then they looked at a group of Christians who say that Jesus is more important than anything in their lives. And the mean giving of those last group was 2.8% of income. I tell you that to remind you that this is a tough issue. This is a tough issue. Can you imagine the Wall Street Journal writing an article front page and saying, those Christians, they must be drinking with different water than the rest of us. They give 2.8% of their income. I share that with you to remind you that this money thing is a tough issue. And if you're struggling with it, we love you and we understand But the reason I'm talking to you about it is I want to show you that God has ways for us to break the power of that in our lives. So Paul wants us to live with the skies wide open. And he has three things to say about the work of faith of giving. Number one, God wants us to know that giving isn't just a gift to God's work in the world. It's not just a gift to the church. Giving is an extraordinary gift for us. 
The second thing is that giving money in particular is a pathway to growth, to growing deeply in Christ. And lastly, he wants us to know that giving can set us free. So first of all, Paul says in Thessalonians that giving is a gift. It's clear to us, friends, that God not only loves you very much, but also has put his hand on you for something special. When the word came to you, the Holy Spirit put steel in your convictions. The work of faith. Paul tells us that we were made for this. It's what we were created for. Paul says in Ephesians, you are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus for good works, works of faith, that he created ahead of time so that you could walk in them. I want to tell you, there's nobody in this room that wasn't created for something special. God loves you very much. And he has marvelous things that only you can bring to this marvelous thing called the kingdom of God at work in our world. Giving, proportional, putting God first, Giving is an extraordinary gift. And I want you to know that when you, that, that it's the best gift. I got completely lost there. <laughs> My dad used to say to me, if you really love someone and you want to give them the best gift, teach them how to give. Of course, it's a work of faith, right? It takes discipline. It takes some effort. It means giving, putting your giving first before everything else. It's not waiting till everything else is taken care of and then what's left over. It's actually trusting in God that you can trust him enough to put your giving first and then finding out how faithful God actually is. It's work. It takes discipline. But then you get to find out that it is such an incredible blessing. Giving is the place where many of us have our eyes opened fully to just incredibly how generous God is. On my own, I get stuck in I need and I want, and I mostly want more. I would be ashamed to tell you my wish list this morning. It's long, and it's way too extensive. It's in giving that breaks the power of I need and I want and instead moves me into this beautiful landscape of just look at what God has given to me. I was in Oaxaca, Mexico with uh, covenant missionary Dr. Cindy Hoover and she took me to a shanty town outside of uh, Oaxaca, Mexico. I don't need to describe it to you. You can imagine it. It was a huge piece of land that had formerly been the garbage dump for Oaxaca. And because it was empty land and because it was free, everyone moved in. And um, she took me there and we walked through it. And we actually had a worship service where actually Bill Nothelfer's brother preached in that little worship service. Um, but Cindy told me that she had been invited by a single mom and her two kids to come over for dinner. And she swallowed hard and she went. 
And she said, they gave me the best they had. And then she said what really got to her is when the mom turned to her two kids and said, we're going to thank God for this food before we eat because she said to her kids, look at what we have. <laughs> look at this food. There are so many who don't have enough and look at the way God has blessed us. And that's when Dr. Cindy Hoover said she completely lost it. Givers who have learned putting God first and giving in proportion to what they have received are people who even in a shanty town in Oaxaca, Mexico, believe that our God is a God of extravagant abundance. The more I enter into the work of faith of giving, the more I see how true it is that it's God who holds me. The work of faith is a wonderful gift. Never let the enemy convince you that God's call to serve, give, share, care, love, any of the things that are works of faith, never believe the enemy that they will diminish or deprive you of the good stuff of life. All the really good stuff is found in the work of faith. Giving is an extravagant gift. It is also a pathway to growth. The work of faith is a path for you and me to look more and more like Jesus. Paul writes it this way, you paid careful attention to the way we lived among you. And you determined to live that way yourselves. In imitating us, you imitated Jesus. I give today for a very simple reason. I was very, very fortunate. My parents taught me putting God first, giving proportionally, and giving regularly to God when I was a little kid. And there's one story that is in my mind, and I'm sure I'm embellishing it, but it's true. Um, I came home when I was probably in middle school or late grade school, and I had mowed my first lawn for a neighbor. And I came home with <laughs> two whole dollars in my hands, and I thought I had made it. I was, I was set. And my dad, when I met him at home, celebrated the fact that I had entered the workforce. <laughs> he thought that was cool. And John can tell you that our dad cared about the fact that he and I had a work ethic. And by the way, if, if you have a work ethic today, give thanks to whoever it was who gave it to you because it's something that's given. And some people never get it, and it's a rotten way to live. But... He celebrated with me that I had entered the workforce. And then he said this to me. He said, Don, you know, every Sunday when you go to Sunday school, you are given by your mom and dad a quarter to put in the offering plate because we want you to learn the pattern of giving. And he said, but this Sunday something special is going to happen because you can take 20 cents out of that $2. And this Sunday, when you give to God, it's not going to be your parents' money. It's going to be your own. <laughs> My dad was helping me to imitate him and imitate the extravagant abundance of our God. I, um, 
have taught and cared about this thing about stewardship for a long time in my life. And I think it's incredibly important. And one of the things that I believe in is that it's a really good thing to budget. I'll just tell you, I've never been any good at budgeting. (laughs) But when Sally and I were young marrieds with two little kids living in the most expensive county in the United States, when going out to Pizza Hut was a really big deal for us, we gave. We put God first. And I want to tell you something. Even without budgeting, giving ordered our finances. Giving set us up in a place where we lived within our means. Not only that, it wasn't just saving faith. It was living faith. It was practical faith for the toughest experiences of life because we found out in our giving that it wasn't our money that held us. It was the living God. Giving is an incredible gift. It's a path that sets us free. And just the one last thing. Um, It's a path for growth, but the last thing is it sets us free. And it sets us free, not without struggle, not without challenge. Giving is mostly cumulative. Sometimes it's episodic where you just get blown away by getting to participate in something that God is doing, and you just can't believe that you got to do it. But a lot of it's cumulative over time. And what happens is, Paul says it sets us free from what Paul called the dead idols of this world. And here's what Paul wrote. You deserted the dead idols of your old life so you could embrace and serve God, the true God. Sisters and brothers, the dead idols are everywhere. They dominate our world. They dominate our world. And the dead idols are everything that we're tempted to trust in other than the living God. The dead idols are power, position, clout, luxury, prestige, and certainly money. Please hear me. I like money. (laughs) I like it quite a bit. I mostly wish I had more. (laughs) So don't feel guilty if you like money. That's not the point. But giving breaks the power of trusting in money. Something subtle happens in our regular proportional giving. The weight of our lives shifts from being terrified about things and whether we're going to have enough and finding out that our weight has shifted onto the living God who will never let us go. Walter Brueggemann calls the dead idols of this world the gods of scarcity. I can promise you, as long as your dependence is on things, you will never have enough. You will never have enough. You will never live in that wonderful land of, look how God has blessed me. Because you'll always be thinking you should have more, but giving breaks the power of that. Paul calls it the glorious freedom of the children of God. (laughs) The glorious freedom of the children of God. So it's living with the skies wide open. Giving is an incredible gift. It's a pathway to growth. And giving is especially um, something that sets us free. 
Some of you have been listening to me this morning and just cheering because you go, this is the way we've lived all our lives, and I wouldn't trade one vacation or any special thing that I might have wanted for the blessing it's been to be a part of God's work all my life and the blessing it's been that I have found out over and over again that God is faithful. But some of you are going, whoa, you don't know my finances. (laughs) You don't know how tough it is. You don't know how challenging it is. You don't know about how much I worry about the future and my kids and everything else. And you're going, can I really trust God that much? The psalmist says it really simply. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Last story, and it's kind of for fun, but there was a guy named Paul Brandel who lived in the 50s, 60s, and 70s of the last century, and he was an incredibly successful businessman and lawyer, uh, gave enormous funds uh, to Covenant and, and God's work, uh, there's, a, you know, there's a library named after him at North Park University. Um, he loved giving so much that he not only gave, he talked about it, and he ended up giving talks on stewardship in covenant churches all around the country. One night he was giving his talk. He was talking about giving. And um, uh, after he was done, a businessman, and in those days you always knew who a businessman was because they were wearing a suit and a tie. And this guy came storming up to the front of the church to Paul. And Paul could kind of intuit two things. One of them is that the guy had agreed with the message. He was convinced. But he didn't like it. And the guy said to Paul in a kind of show-me-the-bottom-line kind of way, how much do I have to give? And Paul smiled at him. said, how happy do you want to be? Giving is an incredible gift. It's a work of faith. It's a pathway to growth. And it sets us free from the dead idols of this world. I challenge you this morning. You only have one life to live. Live it rich, rich in giving. If you're struggling with money, get some help. Don't isolate yourself. The enemy loves it when we isolate ourselves. Get help. Talk to somebody you trust and process out how you can begin the journey. And I'm not telling you to start the journey out here. Start the journey somewhere where you put God first and then start giving proportionally. And then watch, watch, watch how God shows himself to you and proves himself to you. And you find out that this God you can trust. Paul says, every time we think of you, we thank God for you. Day and night, you are in our prayers as we call to mind your work of faith, your labor of love, and your patience of hope in following our master, Jesus Christ. Amen.